thank you. Um, I've been in Grace Church, I was trying to work it out this morning, uh, for about 16 years, um, even though I might never have seen some of you, uh, because I'm over at Chichester, obviously. So come tonight to the prayer meeting where you get to meet other people from other sites uh, that you've never seen before, so um, it's just always a bonus. Okay, so this morning, I, I don't have a clicker, so whilst I don't have a clicker, I'm going to wait for um, the guys at the back to do the clicking. <laughs> so, this morning, we're going to be talking about the wilderness, and I, I was really excited about um, getting to preach on, on this bit, because it, it just felt really kind of relevant, I think, to, if I think back in times in my life, it, I just, I, that really resonates to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I can think of times... And that's felt like the wilderness. So, um, I don't know, it's, have you ever gone somewhere that wasn't what you were expecting it to be? Maybe you had an idea of what it was going to be before you got there, but when you got there, it was not what you were expecting. Or maybe a job wasn't quite what you were expecting, or a holiday wasn't quite what you were expecting. Well, in the summer, we went to London, um, and we were quite excited. We were going to be going on to Paris for a couple of days after a couple of days in London. Um, it was summer, so we were at least hoping for some sun um, or just warmth, um, and hopefully weather would be generally good. But when we got there, there was actually a deluge of water. There was flooding everywhere as we were trying to find our hotel our clothes that we were wearing, even under coats, were soaked. Um, our shoes through to our socks were soaked. The clothes in our suitcase were soaked, because a suitcase is not waterproof. Um, and it was soaked both from the rain and from dragging it through the flooding. So um, we were absolutely saturated to the core. And when we got to the hotel, you kind of get that sense of relief. Oh, made it to the hotel. At least now we could get dry and get sorted. But as we headed further into the hotel to find our room, through a series of doors and stairs, it became apparent that the heat inside the hotel was rising. And as we got to our room, we discovered it was actually hotter than the sun. <laughs> Not pleasant. Unfortunately, um, there was no air conditioning, and the meager offering from the hotel was but a small desk fan, which, uh, which didn't really do very much. And the window could be opened for one centimetre across the top, presumably so that people didn't accidentally leave the room through the window being open too far. But actually, not being able to open the window that far made me want to leave the room by any means possible, because it was so unbearable. And as the stench of our sodden clothes soaked with London's dirty rainwater, filled the room, I had to admit, this was not what I was expecting. And what happened after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, after they came out of slavery in Egypt, crossed the Red Sea and, and got to the other side, what happened next was not what they were expecting. I mean, they'd, they'd been in slavery, things had got really hard, There'd been all kinds of plagues and things uh, going on. Then they had Passover, and there was people dying, but they were protected by the blood. Wow, my goodness, this is an amazing thing to go through. Then they were about to leave, 
And then they got lots of like plunder from their Egyptian um, counterparts. They're like, woohoo, yeah, we've got stuff. This is amazing. And we get to leave. And then they set off. And oh, no, the Egyptians are following us. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Oh, my goodness, the Red Sea's parted. Oh, this is, wow, this is exciting and scary at the same time. This is amazing. What's God taking us to? Go through to the other side. Well, let's praise God. Oh, the water's bitter. Oh, it's not very nice here. What has God brought us to? This is not good. This is not what we were expecting at all. After all that excitement, a bit of terror, they ended up in the wilderness, sleeping in a tent with your whole family and your goats. And it's hot and it's cold at night. There's insects, snakes, lizards everywhere. A bit like church camp out. (laughs) There's no clear plan in sight. This is not what they were expecting. But actually, the wilderness is a great place, not a great place, but it's a place of great purpose in God's plans. God ordained this time. He planned this time for the Israelites. And through studying kind of what God was doing with the Israelites in this time, we can get encouragement and hopefully some comfort and some hope in maybe the challenges that we might face in our lives. Some seasons in life can feel more like wilderness times as God grows us or equips us for something specific. But it's also, the wilderness can also be seen as kind of maybe our whole lives um, as a Christian walk preparing us for eternity. And God often uses times in the wilderness in the Bible as a time of refocusing, of knowing God more, and of preparation. So Jesus went into the wilderness before his ministry began. He went into the wilderness for 40 days, which we're meant to notice as a contrast or pointing to the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness. And I will contrast some of those verses um, as we read through um, the Israelites' experience, because Jesus is our perfect example and so he, he did the wilderness perfectly. So it's helpful to look at that. Okay, so we've got a lot of verses this morning, and I've broken it down into three parts. The first part is the biggest. So don't, if we do the first part, don't suddenly panic that we've got two more as long as that. <laughs> okay, so let's make a start. Um, where are we? So we're in Exodus chapter 16. Um, Linda, would you mind going through the verses on the screen behind me? Sorry, it's a bit small, guys. Right. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, 
and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord had commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. It's rare that. They gathered, sorry. <laughs> sorry to interject. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as, lo as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you the bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. 
As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an epa. Right, so let me just put my Bible down a second. Okay. So things might not be what we expect, but God is faithful, is the message of this first part. The Israelites despair and doubt God because this was not what they're expecting, but God is faithful. They start off firstly by grumbling to Moses and against God. The Bible tells us this was two months have passed. Uh, That's not long, considering at the end of the passage, it tells us that they end up being there for 40 years. So we need to notice that this is right at the beginning of their time in the wilderness. This is happening right at the beginning. And the first thing that happens is that they grumble to Moses and Aaron. They run out of resources, and if nothing changes, they're facing death. Their ability to survive is no longer within their control. Despite witnessing miracles that God has performed up to now, amazing things, running out of resources, and they suddenly think, oh no, oh, this is terrible, everything's gone wrong, everything's terrible. The thought that God might do something in this situation doesn't seem to even enter their minds. And their view of the past has become rose-tinted Even though um, they were in slavery and they weren't free, they actually looked at it as preferable to the situation that they're now in. And they say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Don't think they did. But you brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. They're angry. And it's a bit passive-aggressive because they're directing it at Moses, but they're actually angry with God. And Moses does point that out to them. You know, maybe the Israelites are feeling let down, abandoned, possibly foolish for trusting that God would would actually help them. And it's quite offensive what they're saying, because actually what they're saying is we wish God had never saved us. We'd rather die with God's enemies than have him save us. I think sometimes this can kind of be a place that we can get to in a similar way when um, as new Christians, particularly as new Christians, maybe as, as more kind of longer Christians, but particularly early on, when you, you just get saved, you've just, you've just put your trust in God, and then your life seems to get quite messy, and things just seem, don't seem to go as well, and all of a sudden you know that there's things that aren't good for you anymore, and, oh, I've got to stop, oh, oh no, I used to do that, and now I know that's not good for me to do that. And life just seemed so much simpler before I knew the truth. Before I knew God, everything was just very simple and life just ticked along and it was all fine. And we can look back with rose-tinted glasses. Maybe as a new Christian, we told people, oh, I've become a Christian, I've put my faith in God. And then your life becomes a bit messy and, and rubbish and people are looking at you like, was this really a good choice? And, and then you feel a bit foolish you feel a bit embarrassed. Oh, God, I put my trust in God and now he's left me and my life looks a mess and people are thinking I'm an idiot. If that's anyone here this morning, I really hope that this encourages you because God is at work. He is at very intricate, careful work in your heart for a purpose. 
And we're going to find out more about that this morning. So back to the passage. Moses points out to the Israelites that their issue is with God, not with leaders. Now, God places leaders, leadership over us. um, And it's for our good. Sorry, just completely lost my place on the page. There we go. And it's not like we can't have a healthy debate with our leaders, but we're not meant to grumble, negative grumbling to our leaders. So what's kind of the difference? Well, let's just say, you know, maybe someone in the church has found this really um, good course that they think um, that lots of... It's such a good course. It's, it's based in a book, and, and maybe people at Grace Church should do it. And so they kind of they say to the elders, oh, I found this course. I want to run this course, and I want people in Grace Church to come on it. And if you could advertise it, and we can get people to sign up, that'd be, that'd be great. And the elders might say, uh, no, not, 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 not at this time. Negative grumbling would make a judgment. Negative grumbling isn't interested in further discussion. Negative grumbling says, my leaders are idiots. They've always got their own agenda. They never look for gifting in others. They haven't noticed my gift. And actually, you're grumbling against God. One, because you're questioning his judgment of leaders and who he's called to be in leadership in his church. And secondly, the real issue is actually against God and in your heart as the negative grumbler. In this case, in this example, it could be anger that someone said no, which is actually covering feelings of rejection. Grumbling is harmful to us as individuals. It shuts us down. And it's also harmful to our church, as sometimes we can be tempted in that grumbling to pull others into it. Where we find ourselves grumbling, we actually need to examine our own hearts before God so he can reveal what's going on. Because at the root of grumbling is an unmet need, one that should and can be perfectly met in Jesus. In contrast, healthy debate would maybe put a case forward for why you'd like to do this particular course, give the, leaders, give the elders a copy of the book so they can judge it, and actually maybe this course actually isn't any good, maybe it's actually flawed, And we didn't realize our our leaders are there to give us wisdom about these things. Maybe the leaders didn't realize that you wanted to lead a course. They didn't realize you wanted to grow in that gifting, and they can offer different things for you to do. Negative grumbling is steeped in pride of I know best. Healthy debate is done in humility. So, after the Israelites have doubted God, offended him, he still shows his faithfulness to his people by providing the manna and the quail. And what I find interesting about the manna is that the instructions are about obeying in work and in rest. And this can really challenge any of us who are maybe tempted by faith by works or by earning our salvation or earning the love of God by works, by doing things. The Israelites in the passage is to go out daily. They can't get extra to save it up, which some of them do. And this is a lack of trust, of faith, which leads to disobedience. God also, in this part, reintroduces the idea of the Sabbath, 
which was first talked about in Genesis when God rests. And God says in Genesis that the Sabbath was created for man. It's for our good. We need to rest. It's a gift. And here for the Israelites, it's another faith test because now they must save the extra they've collected overnight, which previously they found didn't work because it got maggots in it. And then they need to not go out and gather any on the day of rest. So whether the instructions are for work or for rest, the Israelites are required to trust God's instructions, have faith and obey, which not all of them manage. And this is an encouragement for us because we so often face situations where we lack trust. And yet God's faithfulness and gentleness with the Israelites, despite their grumbling, untrusting, disobedience, shows us how merciful our God is. And uh, 2 Timothy, I don't know where I need to point this thing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> 2 Timothy says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Our God gives us freedom to fail in this because we so often do. The Israelites were required to trust when they walked through the divided Red Sea. And now they're learning to continue in faith and obedience, not to rely on their own works and efforts. Just as we put our trust in Jesus and what, and what he has done to save us, so are we to continue in faith. Towards the end, God asks Moses and Aaron to keep some of the manna so they can show it to the next generation. So not only are the Israelites experiencing and learning about the faithfulness and mercy of God, but he wanted them to tell the next generation as well. It's important that we tell the next generation, which is exactly what our kids work do kids work workers, kids work doers, <laughs> what our kids workers are doing this morning. They're telling the next generation about the faithfulness of God. The Israelites did not expect to end up in the wilderness, and it led to their despair and wrong belief that God had abandoned them and left them worse off than they were before. So they grumbled, they lacked trust, but God remained faithful. And what does that mean for us today? Well, the Israelites were learning daily dependence on God for nourishment by the manna and quail. And for us today, looking back at those verses, this side of the cross, we can see that that's pointing to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 41, that he is the bread from heaven. And when Jesus was challenged, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he was challenged by the devil to turn rocks into bread. And Jesus was fasting, he was hungry, but Jesus' response was, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is our spiritual nourishment that we need daily in our walk with God. And God is faithful in meeting our spiritual needs, even when we grumble and don't trust. You know, the devil tried to tempt Jesus through his physical hunger, encouraging him to meet his own needs through his own works and effort. But we are to practice our daily dependence on God through having our spiritual needs met, our spiritual nourishment through Jesus. 
And actually, also in the verse where it talks about the quail and the meat, we can also look back at those verses and see that pointing um, to Jesus' body that would be broken for us as well, which also points to our deep spiritual need of salvation through Jesus and ongoing spiritual needs. And we've done that this morning. We've remembered what Jesus did for us on the cross through having the bread and the wine. We might not be expecting the challenges that lie along our paths, like the Israelites. And this may lead us to think that God has left us. We may not expect how God will resolve our circumstances. But our comfort is that even if we mess up, even if we grumble, disobey, or try to meet our own needs through our own works, God remains faithful, even when we are faithless. And he's faithful in teaching us to rely on him daily. Okay, let's go on to the next part. So, this is Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7, following on from where we just left. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So we're back to the quarrelling and the grumbling. So, things might not be what we were expecting, but God tests us for our good. So the Israelites were tested in the last section on the gathering of the manna, and yet again the Israelites find themselves in a situation of need their expectations that maybe things would, improving, would be improving by now are dashed. The whole Israelite community is now camping at Rephidim, but there is no water, and again, their quarrel is with the leaders. Now, previously, God has provided for them in very miraculous ways, and they're back to quarreling with Moses. And I feel like this is very us, because sometimes we don't learn very quickly. <laughs> And God is having to take us through situations again and again before we, before we start to grow in our faith and our trust. You know, when Andy and I first got married, we kept facing financial kind of challenges and, um, in lots of different ways, and, and Andy kept being made redundant. And I remember saying to Andy, if you could just hurry up and learn what God is trying to teach, teach you, then we wouldn't keep ending up in these situations. <laughs> Joking. So, but on a serious note, 
Why did God keep leading the Israelites to places where they had no food or water? It seems that God picks the worst camping spots. But remember, God has led them out of slavery and into this. Purposefully. There is purpose in this. Encouraging, and we can find ourselves in situations and go, what on earth is going on? This is terrible. There is purpose in this. God is at work. And God is causing the Israelites to keep needing to fall on him. God tests his people for their good. Moses asked them, why are you putting the Lord to the test? Which might seem initially strange, but when you put someone to the test, you suspend faith and obedience until you see the outcome. The Israelites had suspended their faith and trust in God pending the outcome of the water situation and were therefore putting God to the test. And they even ask, is God among us or not? We, as a people, are called to faith. There is a whole list of people commended for their faith in the book of Hebrews. God wanted faith, trust, and obedience for that moment. He wanted trust and obedience, and for that moment, the Israelites withheld it from him. The book of Hebrews, which obviously the Israelites wouldn't have had at that time, um, but for us now, the book of Hebrews tells us that faith is hope in things unseen. For example, Abraham from the Old, the Old Testament trusted God for descendants as numerous as the stars, and yet he never saw what he was promised. And that's because it's, it's still being fulfilled now in our day, but his faith was honoured. And here the Israelites want to see water first, then they will have faith. So what does this mean for us today? In these verses, we're meant to see Jesus as the rock that was struck in those verses. And the water that is poured out, we are meant to see as the Holy Spirit poured out for us. And Kim brought that word this morning about asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We so need the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us for this, for this Christian walk, for this walk in the wilderness, for this life. We need his filling. The Israelites quenched their thirst from the water of the rock, and so we are to thirst and be filled by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to come to him, all who are thirsty, and he will give the water of life. His Holy Spirit empowers us to walk this Christian life. And we can also see that God tests us for our good. The Israelites tested God because they withheld their faith. But when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, the devil told him to throw himself down off a temple to see if God would indeed set, command the angels to save him. But Jesus said, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We are called to be those who have faith and obey even if, like the Israelites, we don't see the answer in front of us. Our situations are not always what we are expecting, but God is testing us for our good. So we're not to put God to the test, but conversely, he will put us to the test for our good. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You see, just as a refiner 
pays great care and attention to purifying gold and silver to the exact precise heats to get out impurities, but not to ruin the precious metal. So God purifies our faith and our heart through testing them. God is growing and strengthening your faith like he did with the Israelites. But he will never give you more than you can bear, since too much heat would ruin the silver. And God knows the exact level of testing to grow rather than crush your faith. Verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.13 said, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The purpose of God putting the Israelites to the test is actually revealed in our last section. So let's turn to that now. So it's Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16. And it's our last part. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill as long went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Things might not be what we are expecting, but Jesus is the rock that we can stand on. We've got a surprise attack from the Amalekites. Again, not what the Israelites were expecting. But during the battle, victory is dependent on Moses' hands being raised up, which is a symbol of prayer or worship. And he was acknowledging the Lord God, the Lord as their God. And it wasn't, the victory was dependent on Moses' hands, not on the quality of the fighting going on in the valley. And it's so hard for Moses that he has to sit down on a rock. You know, that, that's encouraging for anyone here who finds prayer hard. Moses was finding it hard. So it's meant to be hard, actually. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in prayer. So don't be put off by that feeling of, oh, I don't want to go to the prayer meeting tonight. It's really hard. Moses found it hard. It's fine. Just come. <laughs> it was so hard for Moses that he had to sit down on a rock and friends hold up his hands. And this last section is where we really start to see the purpose in what God was beginning to do with the Israelites. Back in chapter 13, um, which may have been a few weeks ago now, it says, 
God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And now here the Israelites were facing war. God knew the Amalekites would attack, but he only allowed it to happen here. Only after going through the adversities and having to depend on God rather than themselves has their faith now been bolstered to the point where they can face war and achieve victory through God. Previously, they were not ready. God knew that having to face the Philistines may well make them return to Egypt. But having taken them through situations where their faith has been tested and ultimately grown, they are now ready to face this battle, to face war. What does this mean for us today? Well, as Moses faced the battle in prayer, he was seated on a rock, which we can see as a symbol for Jesus. In the place where God's people drank the waters that flowed from the rock, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, we face our battles in Christ, in it, standing on his truth and filled by the Holy Spirit. It's worth noting that, that Moses wasn't alone either. His friends were with him and we too should gather friends around us to pray for us and with us. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil showed him other kingdoms and said, if you worship me, this can all be yours. And Jesus said to the devil, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The Israelites' victory was through worshipping and praying to their God. Then he gave them victory. When you face challenge in this life, don't be tempted to follow the enemy's path to victory. It leads nowhere good. And only by serving the Lord and worshipping him alone and standing on the rock of Jesus will you experience victory and freedom. Things may not be what we're expecting, but Jesus is the rock that we can stand on. Can I ask the band to come up? Thank you. So, I just want to encourage you this morning that if you feel like you are in the wilderness right now, you feel like you're in a time of testing, maybe you felt like you were setting out on a path with God and you've just been met with challenge after challenge and now you just feel like giving up. Or maybe you feel your faith has been tested and you're not sure how much you, more you can take. Maybe you're doubting God's faithfulness this morning, his willingness or ability to act in your circumstances. God sees you right where you are. Whether he led you there or he allowed you to walk into the circumstances that you're in. God sees you. His eye is on you. If you're a Christian here this morning, he has hold of you with his righteous right hand. He's not letting go. But he will allow the adversity to shape and grow your faith. He loves you too much not to sharpen you and hone you and teach you and deepen your faith and knowledge of him. He's only allowed the situations you have because he has provided the resources to bring you through them. And he guides us through the challenges of this life and, 
And through these passages, we can, we can see how God carefully brought the Israelites through their time in the wilderness. His faithfulness and mercy extends also fully to us this morning. Maybe you feel like your situation is really of your own making. Maybe you've decided to go against God's instructions and maybe you've been disobedient. Well, even then, you cannot flee from his spirit. His endless mercy and faithfulness to the Israelites and their disobedience and faithfulness, we can see that he will remain faithful to us too. Like the prodigal son, there is always a way back to the Father. And it's through what Jesus has done for us. I want to pray for both of these groups this morning. I'm going to pray, pray shortly in a minute, but I also want to encourage you, come and do business with God this morning. It's not about anyone else here. It's about doing what Moses did. It's about standing in the battle with people beside you and claiming the victory that Jesus has won for you. Come and do that this morning. And I also want to acknowledge anybody who doesn't know God yet but wants to know more about this God who leads his people through challenge and brings them out stronger the other side so that they love and trust him more. I want to pray for you as well. That's it, yeah. Lord, we just thank you for what you have been speaking to us this morning. We thank you for your presence that has been here with us. We thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, and that we can see through what you've been doing with the Israelites, we can see that you also work in our lives, taking us through challenges, through difficulties, sometimes through pain and adversity, but you lead us out stronger the other side. You are growing us. You are teaching us to trust more and more. And you are faithful to us, even when we get it wrong. I want to thank you, Lord God, that you love every single person here. That you know every single person here. And I just want to lift up anyone to you this morning who, who feels that they're in a real place of the wilderness this morning, where they're feeling tested, where they're maybe feeling grumbling, where they're feeling disappointed, let down, abandoned. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come now and touch their hearts. Please lift them out of their place of darkness. Elevate their eyes to you, Lord God, that you, Lord Jesus, are their hope, are their victory. I just pray that for change in their situation, I pray that your Holy Spirit would sustain them through this time and bring them safe to the other side. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust in your faithfulness to us. And I just pray, Lord God, for anybody who wants to know more about you this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to their hearts, that you would speak to them, that you would teach them about who you are, about how much you love them, how much you want, that, you want to welcome them in, to rescue them, to save them, to give them a deeper meaning in their hearts, to give them a purpose in their hearts, to set them free. Just pray, Holy Spirit, you would come now. As we turn to worship you for the final time this morning, Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in people's hearts. And if you feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart this morning, or you want God to move in your situation, please come up. Please come to the front. 
Come and grab somebody at the back and ask them to pray with you, whatever it is.